Welcome, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is our Street Smart Spirituality Hour. And, uh, you know, there are so many conversations that I get to have, and uh, I have to tell you that um, I'm so blessed right now to be having the kind of life that I have. And just imagine, I get to talk to such fabulous, fabulous people, people that have a very, very powerful message, people that are, are willing to come to the table and talk about just about anything that you could possibly imagine. And I've got one of those shows planned for you today. Let me just tell you a little bit about my guest today. Uh, my guest, and I'm really honored to have him on the show, is a gentleman that I met, oh, I'd say a couple of years ago. His name is William Meter, And for over 20 years... He has been a student and a teacher of esoteric psychology. And we're going to hear a little bit about what that is. But central to what he does is this many, many facets, many facets of spiritual psychology. And we're going to be talking a little bit about cosmology. We're going to be talking a little bit about astrology today because he is what some people know as an esoteric astrologer. In addition to his spiritual base, he has an advanced degree in behavioral sciences and has had many years of experience as a psychology professor in California. And so much of his work is based on the esoteric tradition, transpersonal aspect of human consciousness, and what this life is all about. What is the journey about? And so today's show, we are going to be talking about death. Death. That's what I said. The great adventure. And it is an unavoidable aspect of our lives, the mystery, the fear often surrounding it. And to those dedicated to living a spiritual life, death is understood as a beginning and not an end. And so today, with the recent loss of a very, very dear friend of mine, my prayer partner for eight years, my operations manager, Bobby Braden, we have this conversation about death. And this is so that each and every one of us can understand this great adventure. William, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you for inviting me. It's good to be here. It's been a while. It's been a while. And, you know, you and I were kind of uh, joking uh, uh, at the break or before we came on the show, and I had mentioned to you that Bobby had passed away or made her transition, however you want to look at that, right. and uh, how I've been really avoiding the conversation, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. It's easy to avoid it, you know. But um, in a way... Um, the, uh, the esoteric view of death kind of gives a different light to it, uh, and, uh, and hopefully it's a much more hopeful light than our personalities tend to see this subject. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm open to go anywhere you would like with it. Well, I think, you know, for me, um, I, I think one of the things that's really important for us to really uh, step back and kind of uh, take a peek at, kind of look at, is... Um, this comment that I made about esoteric philosophy or esoteric psychology, whatever we want to, whichever direction, but how is the, the understanding of death and dying different in, you know, in the different philosophies? Meaning, what is understood about death in esoteric philosophies? Well, l let's begin by... Um first 
laying a foundational principle that actually represents uh, a typical confusion that we have around death, okay? Um, you know, because of your background in psychology, that um, the, the human psyche always thinks in terms of opposites. You know, for every thought we have, there's an opposite thought. Mm -hmm. You know, up is meaningless without down. Um, right is meaningless without left. And we have, um, you know, Carl Jung spoke so strongly about this in his psychological work that the principle of opposites governs the way we perceive things. Well, one of the big uh, opposites in consciousness is this question of, of life-death. It seems so opposite. And yet the esoteric view states this, that the, um, the opposite of life actually is not death, as we typically think of it. Mm. Instead, the opposite of life is birth. And that takes a little discussion for people. Yes. Because, you know, where it is so ingrained in us right. that, you know, there are two things that we absolutely have to do. That's pay taxes and die. <laughs> yes. All right? I mean, yes. this is this is what we hear. Yeah, that's right. And so now we're, we're introducing to our listeners something that I think is going to take a, a, a little understanding. Right. And I know that, you, you know, this is a very, very powerful discussion that we're having around this because if death is not the opposite of life, then what really is it? That's the question we're addressing. And as I say, it is from a deeper perspective, it is actually birth. And let me explain why. First, we've got to realize that, that the, your identity, my identity, is really the soul itself. You are the soul. And our lower selves, our personalities, are merely the outer form expressions of that higher nature. And when the soul makes an incarnational decision, and there's a whole lot of discussion about what's the, how, does that, how does that decision come about, but when the soul incarnates, what it's doing is it's moving itself from fields of broad, uh, broadness to concentrated uh, depths of, su of substance. In other words, it's moving from a formless state to a form-bound state. Mm. That's what incarnation is. Incarnation mm. is the soul um, moving a, a part of itself into form and thereby limiting itself. You see, that's the irony of, of the soul's incarnational process. It actually is imprisoning itself by the very act of incarnation itself. Well, let me ask you this question then. Do you believe that the soul comes in with a predetermined exit date, so to speak? <laughs> Uh, the soul, the soul has a. Um, uh, by the, we are told in the ancient philosophy of esotericism that the soul will have a sense of its longevity. It'll be determined between the fourth and the seventh year of life. Mm. By that time, the soul has an understanding of the integrity of the body that it's incarnated into, and can, from that time forward, can get uh, an understanding of the viability of that body and how long it is likely to last. Um, so from, and I'm, of course I'm speaking here of natural death and not accidental death. Okay. Mm -hmm. But my point here is that we have to really reverse our thinking about death. We have to realize that in some sense to be incarnate is to be in a condition of death. We are much less here than we are when we are out of the body our capacity to perceive reality, to perceive our divinity, is far more limited in this condition than in the out-of-body condition. So it's quite a reversal of thinking. Uh, how did we get to this place? I mean, how did we get to this place of looking at death as the opposite of life? 
I mean, do we make yeah. this up because it's uh, it sounds kind of good or easy to to be able to talk about? Well, I think what, the reason why we've done that, and it's it's because of, uh, we have evolved through so many incarnations, and the first thing that evolves in our in our lives over many incarnations is form consciousness, uh, personality consciousness, outer consciousness. And if we just rely on outer consciousness, when we see somebody die, the body ends its its livingness, and we say that person has died. But um, so, so from a sort of observable evidence, our lower self will tend to look at that and said and say death is final. But that's not that's the lower consciousness as it just perceives reality out, outward reality. But when we find that deeper part of us that is the soul itself that that part of us is actually the part that's eternal and that's the part of us that realizes that an incarnation a single incarnation is a blip on the map Mm. a blip on the map Uh, from the soul's perspective one single incarnation is is um, like reading one page in the book of life you know, that's ver- that's a very vivid description, William. It really is. I want to just mention to everyone that you are listening to the Dr. Pat Show. This is our Street Smart Spirituality Hour. I am here with esoteric uh, astrologer, philosopher, William Meter. We're talking today's uh, topic is Death, the Great Adventure. And we're going to be talking about this uh, for today as an entree uh, to the many ways that you can connect directly with William, and we'll be talking a little bit about that. Now, William, I know that you're you're traveling a bit, and I think that you know one of your next stops is going to be the Seattle area. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I know you're going to be in Seattle doing a number of different events uh, and and uh, talking about this. T- are you, will you be talking about death at one of them? Yes, in fact, uh, the subject of death is going to be a public workshop that I'll be doing on Saturday, February 3rd. Great. Uh, and that will be at the Stonehouse Bookstore. Um, yes. Great. But you will actually be in the Seattle area, just so people know, yep. um, February 1st and 2nd and 3rd. Yeah, that's right. And I'll be, I'll be doing some public talks, like, for instance, on the uh, February 1st, that's a Thursday, I'll be doing an hour-and-a-half talk starting at noon at the East-West Bookstore on the nature of love. Mm. And I'll be talking about it. It's entitled, it's entitled The Fire of Love. Mm, that's great. Love. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And, you know, love and death, you know, they're not, they're not too dissimilar. <laughs> no, in a certain sense. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. You know. Love to die for. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, one of, one of the things that has been said to me, and I want to get, I have a lot of questions for you and a lot of things that I want to cover today, but one of the things that was said after Bobby's passing, uh, and, you know, people, you know how people, we all try to make sense of this. You know, she, Bobby Braden, as I said before, made her transition right before Thanksgiving, my prayer partner of, um, oh, seven or eight years. And uh, believe me, she is uh, she is missed very much uh, by me personally and many others. And, you know, I had been with her for a large part of her journey, her battle with cancer, and actually pretty much beating cancer. And so this this death was very unexpected. And as a matter of fact, she had been on her way to the chiropractor, and, um, you know, happened to have a coughing fit, which caused an internal uh, bleed. But, you know, 
we all try to make sense of this. Many people have come back and have said to me, and I believe this myself, that perhaps her work here was done. You know, perhaps she had gotten to the place where everything that she could possibly do at this level was done. How does that fit in with our conversation about death at the great adventure? Do you believe that that is what happens sometimes to us? Yeah, that's the key word is sometimes. Uh, uh, that That is very possible, that she, her soul, lived out its intention for that incarnation. Um, one of the wonderful things to realize about death uh, is that death is always a choice that is made by the soul itself. Uh, it's the soul that makes the decision to vacate the form. Often, oftentimes we think that, um, um, you know, the soul is... Um, you know, the, the soul is something that we discover as a as a part of our lives at the time of death. But in fact, the soul is actually operative throughout the wholeness of the life, and it makes the decision to abstract itself out of form. Uh, and that decision is true. Even even you know, let's say we have a horrible situation where let's say somebody's in a horrible car accident, mm-hmm. and so their body is mangled and so forth. Well, the um, even though the, the 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 body is mangled, the soul will still make the decision of abstraction, uh, and and it's looking at the vehicle and saying the the body and saying that that body is no longer suitable uh, or usable for me. So it deliberately makes its exit, but um, it's making that decision. You've probably heard those stories of people who have been um, in horrible um, accidents and and yet somehow hang in there long enough for loved ones to come so they could say goodbye, that sort of thing. Exactly. There's a, there's an aspect of consciousness that actually um, makes the ultimate decision of the when of abstraction, you see. Um, and, and that's what I'm saying. The soul itself makes that decision. Whether, it's a, whether the accident was, intent, uh, was, uh, was um, part of the journey or not is another question. The esoteric philosophy doesn't hold the view that every death is a um, was planned by the soul all along. Um, accidents do happen, and one of the reasons. Oh, that's, that's very interesting because I did I didn't realize that William. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I mean, uh, I, I I guess I was was clearly from the the camp of ignorance and thinking that from an esoteric point of view that everything is sort of pre-planned, that accidents aren't part of the nature. I'd love for you to say more about that. Okay, yeah. Well, let's look at it this way. The, the evolution of, when we speak of the evolution of consciousness, we're really speaking about the evolution of the soul consciousness. It's the soul itself that's evolving. And each of us has a measure of soul unfoldment, but not total unfoldment. If we had total full soul development, we would be considered enlightened and we wouldn't even have to be here. Um, so over many incarnations, the soul is slowly trying to actualize itself or fully express itself through a personality without the personality getting in the way. For all of us, there's partial success there. Because the soul is only partially evolved, it means that its capacity to predict all future outcomes is only partial. Therefore, the soul cannot predict all possible outcomes or all possible events. It can only predict a measure of them. And so there are events that occur that were not intended by the soul. 
Mm. Now, to a master, let's say we have a master who is fully enlightened, who the, the soul is fully expressing through the personality, the personality is pu- fully purified, then then the the opposite would be true. That is to say, that person, um, an accident would not occur. But for a partially expressed soul uh, that is not fully evolved yet, there is a measure of uncertainty. Well, you know, that that's very, very helpful. I mean, I, uh, one of the questions I received from people that knew that I was doing the show today, uh, and I've got a series of questions from folks, but one of them has to do with this idea of, uh, you know, the reincarnation or the soul's journey. Uh, and the questions that uh, I've received on this are pretty incredible. For example, you know, if we look at the soul, as you described, of sort of being this evolving thing, Mm -hmm. then the question is, do we get to evolve with the same people? Or, you know, do we, how do souls, how do souls relate to each other, I guess is the question. Mm -hmm. Well, your soul is a member of, of, uh, of, uh, of of an inner community, you might say. Mm -hmm. It is said to be a member of many uh, groups. And um, those groups have a commonality of purpose in the world. And, and so many of your relationships in the outer world may in fact be very much soul-defined and may in fact have karmic connections to people from past lives. But also many are not. Mm. And you usually can tell the difference if you really are internally sensitive to it, you see. Um, and, and so... One of the wonderful things to understand about the soul is it's governed by the principle of unity and it's the part of us that recognizes that deep down it's all one. The lower self, the personality, cannot see that. The personality is governed by separateness. Not only does it think in terms of separateness, but it also prizes its separateness, prizes its uniqueness. So, for instance, whenever, whenever you have a thought or a feeling and you sense some kind of deeper connection or a deep commonality with another person, at the moment you're thinking that, the soul is contributing to the shaping of your perception. It's creating the thought itself. So why I bring that up is that the soul itself is governed by principles that, that unite us, and therefore the soul inwardly is always united with other souls. There's a, there's a, it's called, the soul is part of an inner ashram, let us put it that way. Mm-hmm. And that ashram is um, going to define the kind of relationships that really are important for you in the outer world. Well, William, I've got so much to talk with you about. I want to remind everyone you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show, Talk Radio to Thrive By. This is our Street Smart Spirituality Hour. My guest is William Meter. We're going to give you his website in a minute. And the other thing I want to say is if you've got questions and want to weigh in on this conversation, if you want to contact us here and get online with us, ask William a question yourself please do, 877-876-5227. That's 877-876-5227. And uh, we will make sure that we get your question on air. The folks at bbsradio.com are right there picking up the phones and getting right to it. Uh, William, I want to ask you along these lines, I want to ask you the question of the relationship between death, the soul, and astrology. 
uh-huh. and how these how how the understanding of the soul uh, and what goes on in our current life, how that all works together with what some people call esoteric astrology. Well, okay, very good question. Um, well, first realize that in the esoteric view of things, you and I as souls, our souls, our, the soul is a cell within the consciousness of a living, a larger living system. Uh, we could call that larger living system God, for instance, and. And and so, instead of feeling ourselves as separate from God, we must realize that your soul as a conscious unit, your soul is a facet of that entity's consciousness. Okay, mm-hmm. that's point one. Now, that means that all of cosmos represents the outer incarnation of that one life. Sometimes God has been called the one life and that the one manifests as multiplicity, the one manifests as the, uh, or incarnates itself, and we call that incarnation the universe itself, cosmos. Well, I have to tell you that um, there was a lot of conversation coming into the month of December, uh, and, uh, and I was having a really difficult time with this conversation, and this is why I'm asking the question, because here I went... And I lost someone very close to me in November. And we moved into December. And uh, all, you, you know, a lot of the astrology conversation had to do with Jupiter moving into Sagittarius. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Jupiter would be into Sagittarius, this happens one every eight years, and it's going to be there for a while. And, you know, people said to me, well, you know, we know you're a Sagittarian, so how has your life changed? And, you know, the the first thing that came up was I thought about the loss of a very dear friend of mine. So, you know, sitting there, as, as folks do, and trying to make sense of the losses through death that occur in our lives, and what we what we look at when we look at uh, esoteric astrology in our life's paths, it becomes very confusing sometimes to make sense of all this, William, you see? Right, right, yeah. Well, you know, and, and the truth is that um, as much as uh, we have a measure of understanding of astrology, we don't have the full understanding of it. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and, and where I was going with this earlier was this idea that the 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 zodiac and the planets all represent um, facets of that larger life that influence us. But now you bring up an interesting point. You bring up this idea that here Jupiter comes and in, goes into Sagittarius, and you're having um, what would normally be viewed as a very positive thing. You are experiencing a great loss related mm-hmm. to death. Um, and normally in astrology, the planet that has been most associated with death has been Pluto. Right. Okay. But in the esoteric view, actually Jupiter has also been connected to death. And you may ask, well, why? Because Jupiter is all about magnetic warmth and love and attraction and all of that. Mm-hmm. Well, we're told in the ancient literature that Jupiter represents the attractive force of the larger life as it draws the soul back to the source and out of form. You follow that? I do. So Jupiter becomes a great magnet that draws you back to the inner source. So Jupiter is very connected to death. Yeah, I really hadn't heard that. I mean, I I certainly feel at this point in time 
uh, just an incredible expansiveness. And it's been a little roller coastery, and I don't know if that has to do with the idea. And, you know, death, we're talking about the death of an individual, but there are many levels of death, aren't there? Oh, absolutely. Oh, sure. And, and, and there's levels of death in terms of, um, in a certain sense, um, uh, when you die to an old attitude about yourself, you're born into another attitude about yourself. So we can look at death in that way. But also death has... Um, you know, we tend to think of death and we say, okay, the the soul has left the body, that's death. But people don't realize that actually there's a second death that always is uh, on the heels of the first death. And people don't realize that. And, and what is the second death? Well, let's first understand what is personality, what is the lower self. We often think that it's the body, but it actually it's a threefold body. There's a mental and emotional aspect to personality as well. Personality could be understood as the sum total of your everyday concrete thinking, your emotional nature, and your physical nature. In the totalness of that consciousness, we have personality. And its function is simply to be the outer garment that the soul expresses expresses through when it's in incarnation. But now when you die... Um, We say, okay, this person has died, there's the body, and there's no life in it. But what we often forget is that there's still an uh, that that soul has to pull itself out of a mental and emotional body as well. So that's called the second death. Yeah, we we actually, you know, the the way that you're you're talking about this now is really fascinating. And uh, for all of our listeners out there, I mean, I think that what you've just talked about is worth repeating because when we do think about death, especially in pop culture, you know, generally it's pretty clear. And now there's so much in terms of commercialization around the afterlife and the connection to the afterlife that it's almost become sort of mainstream to have these conversations. But I don't think I've ever heard anyone, William, talk about a first death and a second death. And I, and I would love for you to say a little bit more about that, and perhaps we can give our listeners uh, an example. Well, um, the second death, if we, per, if we assume, and I do assume, okay. that, that the personality has three parts to it, a mm-hmm. mental and emotional part, as well as the physical. Yeah. Just because the physical is, has been shed, that doesn't mean that the soul has freed itself up from the, the other two parts of person. Oh, that's fascinating. You see, and in fact, oh. the second death can, the second death actually um, will happen, and it can happen just minutes after the first death, or it can be days, months, or years, or mm. years. Now, the different, the length of time that the second death will take will be dependent upon how, uh, how far a person is on, their, on the path because, you know, so much of the spiritual journey is all about learning that you are the soul and not the form. Right. And, and the more you can fully live that understanding, not just conceptually but live it experientially, the more you will, at the time of the second death, the more you will be able to uh, readily free yourself from the mental and emotional vehicles because you will have developed a deep understanding that that's not you either. But to the extent that you're identified with your thoughts and your feelings throughout your life, it's going to be hard to disidentify 
with your thoughts and feelings after the first test. And so that's why sometimes for a very young soul, for instance, okay. it may take uh, months or years for that second death to occur because there's strong identification uh, with those vehicles. I am my thoughts. I am my feelings. And so maybe I'm, uh, there's still that sense of fear of letting go because I've identified myself with those parts of my lower nature. It sounds like a very strong attachment. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so much, so much of that we experience, as, you know, as we live. So much of that, I mean, I can relate to. I, I don't know about anyone out there listening to the show, but, you know, have you been uh, totally attached to something so much so that it becomes to govern your life and that, you know, we lose sight, William, of the bigger picture, so to speak? Right. And, 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 and the whole evolutionary journey is... Mm-hmm. Is uh, when you're on the path uh, is all about the gradual disidentification with personality to realize that the personality is not you it's simply a garment that the soul is using to express through um, and the the that process of disidentification takes many many lives well we've got a we've got a caller William let's go to the phones and see who uh, will be joining us on air. Hi, this is the Dr. Pat Show. You're live. Yeah, good evening, Dr. Pat and William. And this show really makes you think tonight. <laughs> uh, I am reading a book and would really like to talk about DMT or ayahuasca and how that relates to shamanic experiences. As some people now, uh, they talk about the ascension process, its relationship to, I guess, near death. Or mystical experiences, if you could comment on that, I'll listen offline. Thank you very much. And who are we speaking with? Oh, this is Drew in Connecticut. Hi, Drew. Well, th- what a great question. William, did you hear that? I only heard him faintly. It's very soft, but uh, something something about, um, um, was it having to do with out-of-body experiences? And ayahuasca, right? Actually, DMT, um, I guess the spirit molecule, has been shown, I guess, in recent revolutionary research that it can project out-of-body experiences, almost parallel dimensions, which stimulates a near-death experience. Uh-huh. Uh, but also shamans in Brazil uh, have used a tea-like substance, ayahuasca, yes. uh, to stimulate the near-death experience in the physical body. Um, and also, if I could comment on just one other part to this, could he elaborate on, like, the projection of a holographic universe, like illusion versus reality, and how the soul perceives that? Okay. That's, That's great. Those are big questions. Uh, so let's and see. I'll um, offline. Uh, let, let, let's do it. Thank you, Drew. Thanks. Thank so you're going to listen offline? Yes, great, because I, li- I can turn up the radio. You that got it. Good. All right, here we go. Thank you again for your for the show. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, the great questions. Uh, you know, I, I mean, definitely this idea of substances that can create uh, sort of an out of body experience has been, a, you know, long time controversial conversation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Where it taps into a certain part of, I guess, our brain, and you know, it creates this experience. What is your sense of that, William? Well, it's like uh, it's a two-edged sword. It's a two-edged sword. There are substances. I mean, even hallucinogenics uh, in in the 60s, much of the work with LSD created some of those kinds of experiences. Um, the key to understand that is that um, there 
there's some truth to it in as much as certain substances can create a new chemistry in the brain that can mimic the out-of-body experience. The downside to that, though, is that that um, there is also a heightened capacity for a distorted perception of it. So while it does induce a, a profound altered state, there's a greater sense of inaccuracy in, in seeing that altered state. So it's a two-edged sword. Uh, did, did you follow that? I did follow that, and I think that's been, uh, that's been a point of contention uh, between a couple of different camps around, especially something like ayahuasca and uh, some of the experience, shamanic experiences. Right. At some level... Uh, uh, there is this sense that by by creating that intervention that some folks that wouldn't have otherwise been able to, let's say, let me use the word, open up, get a sense to open up, even if the experience does distort, um, you, you know, what the soul truly is trying to say or what the lesson is, it's better than not, so to speak. Um, that's kind of the that, controversy. Yeah, and I, and I don't think that there's a right answer here. I yes. Think. It's just like, uh, it reminds me of, again, back to the 60s, some people took took some serious drugs and, um, uh, and look back today and say that that was the most important opening for me of my higher consciousness, uh, and I'm so glad I went through it. And other people... Um, had an inner breakdown and became schizophrenic. Right. Uh, so, so there isn't an absolute answer to that. Uh, there's, there's truth on both sides, you see. Yes, that's great. Thank you, Drew. Now, the second question that Drew asked is, is also very interesting. And I'm, I'm wanting to make sure I understand that he's asking about the nature of the holographic yes. universe. Is yes. that correct? Yes. Yeah. Well, in the, the esoteric view, um, in a certain sense, it is viewed as, that, as a holographic universe. It's very much related to this notion that, that um, um, you know, the as above, so below idea uh-huh. is, is in that idea. But you as a human being and I as a human being, we each represent all of the qualities that are inherent in the one life, but stepped down and more form-bound in those, the expression of those qualities. But in a, in a certain sense... Everything above is found in replication below, and that's a hologram in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. You see, so uh, there, in the esoteric view, there's something called hylozoism that is very important to understand because it represents sort of a core concept, and that is this: that um, every unit of life is a cell within a vaster unit of life, and is seeking to um, mimic that vaster unit of life. So, for instance, um, in the esoteric view, the, the Earth itself is considered a living entity. It has a soul and it has a personality. And our souls are mere units of consciousness within it, seeking to reflect that higher nature of the planetary life. And yet the, soul, the, the planet itself, as an entity, is a mere cell uh, within a, a vaster system called the solar logos. The solar logos represents the the life that animates the entire solar system. And that's holographic. And yet the solar system is simply a unit within a vaster system. Each level is demonstrating holographic uh, reflection of a greater uh, sphere of life. So it's been sometimes called the chain of life. 
and all of it is holographic in that sense. Well, thank you, William. Drew, I hope we've answered that. If not, please give us a shout back. Uh, William, I would love for you to give out your website uh, for folks. Yes. Um, it's www.meter, which is my last name, M-E-A-D-E-R, dot org, O-R-G. And, you know, uh, you're also the author of a fabulous book, and I just want to mention it. Um, and the book that I'm referring to is uh, a book called Shine Forth, The Soul's Magical Destiny. And, you know, this is one of these books that I never get tired of picking up. (laughs) You know, and as every and what's interesting about this book, William, is I open the pages and different. You know what? I'm I'm not one of these people that will take a book and read it from beginning to end unless I absolutely have to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I turn to different page and every time I turn to a different page, uh, there is a different saying or something that has been called out. The the page that I went to today before the show was a page that says this. The problem of desire is always solved on a higher perch deep within. Right. And I looked at that and I thought, why would I go to that page and know that I'm having a conversation with William Meter about death? <laughs> well, that's right. That's right. The, 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 you know, even Einstein said something to that effect. He said you can never solve a problem on the same level that it had that it was created. You have to go deeper inside yourself to find a place where you can see the allness of it. And uh, it's in that higher, broader, wiser, more abstract place that solutions to problems below can be, can be realized. And, and that's the whole evolutionary journey. It's to reach deeper into, deeper into yourself to find that broader, more abstract part of you that gives understanding to the lower part of you. Well, I mean, this is, it's always such a pleasure to talk with you. I want to make sure that uh, I've received several emails about this topic because I don't, I want to make sure everyone knows that we send out a weekly newsletter and we let people know about 11 hours of programming that I do each week. And it's very easy to do. We talk about death. We had a birth this week. We launched our new website, which is thedrpatshow.com, T-H-E. DRPatshow.com, and so we send out our newsletter, William, and we let people know of the folks that are coming on, and so they they get an opportunity to send questions in in advance. Oh, okay, great. And so I've got series of questions. Uh, one of the questions that I want to go to right now is a question that is based on a personal experience of one of our listeners, mm-hmm. and the question is this. What is, and, and this is the question that has to do with death, what is with the tunnel and the white or bright lights anyway? When I was in the tunnel, I came to believe that all those bright lines of light streaking by were actually symbols. And if you slowed down, you would be able to see the symbols clearly. But as you zoom by, they look like streets of multicolored lights. But the symbols are encoded in our cellular memory to help us remember our authentic self as we go through the tunnel back to the non-physical. This obviously is from someone that has had what we now call a near-death experience. Some people actually do die and come back, don't they? <laughs> Absolutely, and, that, and that's what a wonderful description. Yes. Um, because in, in a way, the journey inward is a journey through levels of, of uh, symbols. Uh, and um, the deeper you go, the more abstract the symbol. Uh, so I love that. That's beautiful, the way she expressed that, or he. Yes, she. Hmm. 
she expressed that. And and at the same time, it, it's such an interesting way that she has analyzed the process. I mean, the whole idea of symbols. And what's clear to me in this, William, is in her journey, it seems to me that she has been given a, a, a different level of knowledge. I mean, this doesn't this sound so clear to you, mm-hmm. the actual process? And so that kind of leads to the question of, you know, depth and when we move from the physical as you and, and, uh, uh, and the soul's journey, each part of this is for us to pick up a little bit more information along the way. What is then the ultimate goal of the soul? Oh, well, the ultimate goal of the soul is to, in, in the big picture over many, many incarnations, is to unfold its full potentiality and express that full potentiality through a cooperative, purified personality and to do it without any kind of encumberment and make an uplifting contribution to something beyond oneself. Uh, the, the, what, you know, it gets to the very question of what is the soul anyway? Yes. And from a certain perspective, I mean, I could, I've done whole workshops on that question, but to, 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 in a simple way, the soul is a layer of consciousness within us. It represents the sum total of the wisdom that has been garnered over countless lives. And it also represents the place inside you where pristine Christ-like love is um, felt and related to. And and yet the full, the, you know, it is, it's been said that, um, you know, sometimes people think that the soul is perfect. Uh, and and that's not exactly true. The soul is perfect, but only in one way. It's perfect in its potentiality, but it's imperfect in its capacity to to actualize or express that potentiality through the personality, the lower self. And the whole evolutionary journey is the gradual actualization of the soul's potential through the personality. And Hi, I think I might have I think I might have lost William there. And I'm sorry I'm not available to answer your call at the moment. But if you would leave a message, I'd be happy to get back to you as soon as I can. Oh, we got we've got William at the tone. Please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press one for more options. Wow, this is such an interesting experience that we're having, uh, and I'm hoping the folks at BBS uh, can. Hey, William, that was such a fascinating experience. I thought I lost you there. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Suddenly it was just a dial tone, so I'm back. Well, you know, it's interesting about this. I love this. And at the same time, uh, you know, I think the folks at BBS are going to cancel my show because every time I come on here to do a, sh- a show, something in the electromagnetical field happens on the show. And I totally get that in terms of what we're talking about. And, you know, I wanted to get to this question. It's another question that came through. And it has to do with what we're talking about, William. It's, and I alluded to it before. There seems to be such, uh, what do I want to call it, maybe not an obsession quite, uh, maybe not, don't let me say obsession, but there's a fascination right now with near-death or after-death experiences. I mean, we see it in the television shows. We see it in the media. We see it with the popularity and the growing popularity of psychics and mediums. Uh, There's a show called Medium, by the way. And so the question comes up, I mean, around 
the soul and death and, you know, how long do we linger? Do we actually really hang around? You know, what is the driving force that makes us hang around? I mean, there are so many unanswered questions. How does this relate to the soul itself? Right. There's a, there's a couple levels of answering that. One there you is, go. One is one is as we talked earlier when I mentioned that there's always a second death. Yes. That and that represents in a way a kind of lingering around. Got it. Uh, but there's also there's also um, in some of the ancient literature there's also called something called the the earthbound soul. It's an interesting expression actually, the earthbound soul, and it's a it's a reference to the idea that when an individual's um, outer life uh, is so they've identified themselves so strongly and desirously to the outer world and the the, the nature of their outer life as well as relationships. Um, there can be conditions where the the individual, even though they've had a physical death, there's a lot that is holding them from moving on. Sometimes it's their own desirous nature that's so strong that it holds them into form unduly long. Uh. Or sometimes it's actually the the heartfelt and grieving force of loved ones behind that mm. are holding them back. Mm. Yeah. So yes, there is, and and so there is that phenomena that goes on. And we see both of this manifested in, of course, as I said before, the media, the television shows, the movies that come out. Right. Uh, and you know, uh, I think there was a movie that Kevin Costner was in, which uh, actually blew me away. I think it was called Dragonfly. And you know, it was this notion that you know there could be somebody that has you know died, passed on. And yet their spirit is so strong that they continue to communicate for one reason or another. Right, right. Yeah, and all of that, there's, there's, um, all of that is possible in, in the esoteric view of things. But there's also the danger of some glamour around that. Too. Yes. And that's one of the things. Esotericism puts a lot of energy in being aware of how the lower self can trick us that's, or distort things. And there's a... And, that's what glamour is. Glamour represents distortions of perception based upon our personality yearnings. Um, and so there's a lot of glamour around the idea that I'm talking to um, my um, deceased family or something. Mm -hmm. uh, not that that isn't possible, right. but it is actually far less probable than it would seem to indicate uh, if you just listen to the the media on this. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, you know, there is this need to know, and that's uh, par part of the reason we're doing this show today, to really get some understanding around the soul and the soul's journey. Right. Uh, and, you know, one of the questions that uh, came in before the show, and I hope we have a few minutes to, to get it on the table, because I think it's a more practical question, yeah. but yet for me it has some very deep esoteric meaning. Yeah. The question is this, William, it's which is more interesting, being non-physical or physical? If the answer is physical, then why would our non-physical selves desire to live in an existence which is so much more limited than the non-physical? It seems to me when we are in a physical state, we find the other more interesting, and when we are in a non-physical state, we can't get back into the body to experience life. <laughs> the questions to me anyway this is how they end the questions this is clearly one of my listeners that knows me what up with that girlfriend <laughs> I see. Yeah, yeah. well as I said earlier there, 
it's really important to reverse our thinking and to realize that um, that the soul in its out-of-incarnation condition is where you have much broader awareness. Mm-hmm. But there's a reason for the incarnation. The, re- the reason for the incarnation is that um, that the soul uh, is required, and we can go into why that is. But there's a lar- there's a larger living system that is demanding that every soul develop itself and and express itself through form. Mm-hmm. And the the part that's all about through form requires incarnation to do it. And it's in the process of incarnation where the soul actually is able to finally realize itself through. Uh, the crucible of life. Um, so, yeah. It, the other thing is to keep in mind is that the, another fallacy, and you hear it in the language all the time, is that um, you know uh, we shouldn't take life. Okay, we shouldn't take life. You hear that phrase or something along that lines. But actually, in the esoteric view, it's impossible to take life. You can only take the form that it's occupied in. But life is. It never is not, if you follow that. I do. But we, you know, we've come up with very practical, so to speak, uh, uh, rules and regulation for what it means to live in this physical body. Yes. And, and what does it mean to be in this physical body in conjunction with a whole bunch of other people? That's right. That's right. And, there's a, and, and, and keep in mind that when you start seeing this in a deeper philosophic way, you have to understand that it's not just about you in your form, but it's about the, the, the fact that humanity is a single entity. From a larger perspective, humanity is a single entity, and it has a soul, and it has a personality, and it's struggling as it evolves itself. It incarnates itself, and we call it humanity, but it's, it's, a, it's a single it's our it's our fundamental collective singularity that is incarnating and struggling to perfect its outer expression. Mm. So so one of the things you start to realize is that you, you, as you step onto this path, is that there's an, there's a value in decentralizing yourself and to realize that there's a larger evolutionary thing happening here, and that all of humanity is participating in a great drama toward perfection. And that's a perfection of expression through form. But we're struggling because there's a higher and a lower self, not just between you and I, but also humanity itself. In fact, much of the world's problems today are because the soul of humanity and its personality are in a period of conflict with with itself right now. Okay. And, you know, William, I have to really pick up on that and ask this question because, um, you know, honestly... The question that we're not talking about that has come to the table for me has to do with this idea of suicide and the judgments we make in this physical body in the world we live in about suicide, and that's the, quote, taking of one's own life. And we have, you know, religious conversations around suicide that really talk to uh, it, you know, the painful, sinful aspect of it, and yet we have the other conversation where people say, I've decided that I've been here as long as I want to be here. What is the soul? How, what does this mean to the soul? And how is the soul either guiding the ship 
or not guiding the ship? What is the interaction between the three elements you mentioned before, the personality, etc.? Yeah. In, as a general principle, yeah, the esoteric view would say that suicide is actually something to be steer, steer clear of. And, and the reason is this. It's because the, the, the person that's making the decision to become suicidal is the personality itself, not the soul itself. Mm-hmm. The soul, it, it doesn't need to take the physical life uh, to uh, the outer life in the ways that people commit suicide. The soul has the capacity to simply abstract itself if it feels that it's time for it to leave. But so, so the part of us that is actually suicidal is not the soul. It's the personality in its desperation. So it's actually, um, see, one of the things that's so interesting about this subject is that there's an actual science of death. Mm-hmm. And that there's a, the, the soul, when it begins its process of abstracting itself out of form, there's a whole series of events that take place to facilitate that abstraction. And when a person, when a personality takes the life, it actually negates the necessary sequence that the soul is, is using in order to try to abstract itself. Mm. So the, the suicidal individual will have a tendency to end the life in a way that makes it much more difficult for the soul to detach itself from the form, therefore leading to um, often a longer second death or an, an, a deeper, a, a longer time for the soul inwardly to adjust to what has happened because its mode of exit was de- it was deprived of its normal mode of exit. Well, and and you know that's that's a a, a very interesting conversation to have. I know that. Um, for many people, there is such a, a stigma around suicide. I mean, we, we have rules, regulations, laws, you name it, but the taking of one lo- one's life. Uh, however, very little conversation, William, uh, is had about the soul's role in this. Well, that's the thing. And, and as I say, um, um, there shouldn't, I, I think it's tragic that society has created such a stigma but having said that there's a sort of um, there there's internal reasons why it's a it's a it's a an approach to death that is actually um, um, denying the soul the, the proper physics of how to abstract itself from form mm-hmm. and, it, and it, as a result it, 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 it stages certain challenges for the soul that are unnecessary let's put it that way oh gosh well you know William I, I have to say this has been one of the most fascinating conversations I've had to date on on the radio uh, I am always thrilled and honored to have these conversations with you I would love for you to again let folks know how they can contact you also I want to let everyone know that's listening uh, William is also an esoteric astrologer and he does fabulous fabulous readings and so uh, if you would just direct people to the best way to get a hold of you uh, for a session for your website to get copies of the articles the book so forth that would be great and then remind folks uh, that are in let's see the west on the west coast 
that you'll be able to hang out with William February 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. But let people know the best way to find out more about you and about your, your upcoming events. Okay. Well, on, on my website, there's a calendar, and it shows where I'm going to be in the Seattle area the first week in, in February and all of the events that are planned. And um, there's, a, there's a woman in the area, in Seattle, her name is Karen Johansson, who actually does all the coordinating for me there. And if you're interested in getting more information or wanting to um, um, sign up for an astrological consultation, you would call her. Let me give that phone number. Great. It's area code 206-542-8655. 206-542-8655. Well, thank you, William. Thank you so much for joining us today. A fabulous conversation. I could probably go on for another couple of hours with you about the topic. And I so appreciate all that you do and all that you are. And thank you so much for joining us here today on bbsradio.com. You're welcome, and thanks for having me. And thanks to Drew out there. Thanks for calling in. We want to welcome each and every one of you to the Dr. Pat Show every week here. Same time, same station, right here on bbsradio.com. You're going to be seeing a lot from us in the future and more interaction with you, the listeners. We're going to let you know if you sign up for a newsletter, you'll be able to find out in advance the kind of folks we're bringing on, when we're going to have open mic days where you can call in and get readings and so forth and so on. I want to thank everyone at bbsradio.com for another fabulous show and to remind everyone to know that you are truly blessed and you deserve the life that you desire. Until next week, this is Dr. Pat Basile. Make yourselves a fabulous week.